0: Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this episode of the Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Ben Fox. Based in Portugal, Ben is a serial entrepreneur and founder of Shepherd, a unique and popular book discovery platform connecting readers to books and authors to readers. You can follow him on Twitter at BWB and check out his website at shepherd.com. In this interview, we're going to talk about Ben's background and career, professional interests, building Shepherd, and at the end, we'll talk about some trends in the book publishing industry generally. So thank you very much, Ben, for being on the Front Matter podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: I always like to start these episodes by asking people about their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew a love of, of reading um, and how you found your way into the world of entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. My parents uh, moved there from Texas. Uh, they, were, they were hippies at the time and wanted to get someplace with more nature, I believe, um, and my mom read to me all growing up, me and my brother, um, but she was a book buyer in another life. Um, and I, and I, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what that means, but she worked at the university bookstore. I need to talk to her about it. Um, but yeah, that, so my house had like walls and walls of books. Um, and I think a lot of the books where they were given as demo copies or you know something like that, where they weren't technically supposed to be sold. So we had an amazing library to dig through. Um, and also m- both my parents um, are big readers. So it was just part of my life at all times. And <clears throat> when I was little, it just clicked. It was just a wonderful thing. And I, uh, I found that I can read uh, really fast. Um, and so it just became a huge part of my life early on. Um, and in terms of entrepreneurship, uh, my dad is a, is a bit of an entrepreneur and he's an engineer. So at a a very early age I was kind of uh, seeing some of those things and he had started um, some different, he started a small ISP um, in a a different town in Arkansas um, while he was working um, and he had some of those projects growing up so that was kind of in front of me and then I got involved with computers through him because he's a system admin so I started you know playing with Linux you know when I was probably 12 or 13 and QBasic and Turbo Pascal so all those Things kind of came together um, and led me down this track.
0: Uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, uh, uh, typically, um, the guests on on the podcast are um, lean pub authors who are often computer programmers and people with a background uh, in that. Uh, and and so you're a spe- you're a special guest because you're you're you know you know you're not a computer programming book author. Uh, but I was surprised when I was doing research for this interview to learn about that that you've actually got like a similar kind of experience that that a lot of a lot of our sort of typical guests have where a parent sort of brought technology into the home. And, you know, that story goes back, you know, 70 years now for some of our guests sometimes. Um, uh, and and so, yeah, but so you you actually started uh, a company, I think, in in university.
1: Yeah, actually in high school. Um, yeah. And, and it was a emulation website uh, that got very popular um, and ended up having a small kind of collective group of people that were putting together different emulation projects. And I was kind of, you know, running it day to day, I guess. And it it grew fast and then eventually ended up with a web hosting company in college and was kind of in that industry for like 17 yeah, 15, 17 years, somewhere in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. And when you say emulation, you mean a video game emulation.
1: Yeah. So it was a way to play NES on your computer to play arcade games. It's a way to like save the old games before the hardware gets lost. Um, and at the time there was kind of a bit of a revolution going on that people could play modern you know N64 consoles on their computer as well um that kind of thing so it was a uh, it was very interesting
0: yeah um uh at you know without admitting to breaking any laws i may have a few, <laughs> few roms uh on my on my computer um uh uh but yeah for for anybody who's into gaming you know and and the history of gaming you know those a lot of the early games like from you know NES and stuff like that. If you don't have one, um, they they can be lost. But if you've got, if you're resourceful enough, um, you can you can you can find ways to play them uh, on on any machine that can emulate them. And it's just a fascinating technology. And I'm I'm just curious what that was like—the experience of like having something succeed that way when you were when you were sort of you know so young.
1: Yeah, it was it was uh, it was nice. Uh, I had I had some nice amounts of money, you know, coming in. A lot went back into the project, but uh, for a kid. You know, I was, um, I, I was doing pretty well. I remember I bought like Vietnam era night vision goggles, <laughs> you know, like I, I, you know, all this stuff that a, a kid wanted, um, you know, out of the out of, uh, weird catalogs. I was like, I can, I can buy that and then sell it back on eBay, try it out for a few months. So uh, a lot of good, good stories from there, but yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy, I guess, but uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: And um, I, I mentioned, I mean, you mentioned that you sort of grew up in Arkansas and in, now you live in Portugal, but you've also, you've also traveled around a bit uh, in your life, I gather. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I love to travel um, and that also came uh, heavily through my parents and my uh, grandparents. Um, and I, 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 gosh, I think I went digital nomad uh, back in 2005. Um, and so I moved over to Ireland for a while, came back. Um, did a lot of trips, um, you know, for two, three months out of the country, then eventually years. Um, so I've lived in Egypt for a year, Australia for a year, uh, bummed around South America for six months. And this was all, you know, while working. Um, I really like combining the two, especially it was um, a little bit easier when I was single. Um, but it's it's much nicer when I have company as well. And
0: um, the kind of work that you were doing as a digital nomad, uh, can you just give us a little bit of a flavor? I know I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile here, and I'll put a link to it in the, in the transcript, but I know you, you've done a bunch of different things, but if you can just give people a little bit of a sense of what the sort of early digital nomad life was like and what kind of work you were doing.
1: Yeah, so in the early days, I was um, I was actually working for somebody else for a brief moment in my career, and I was running, um, I, was, I was kind of a weird firefighter type figure, Uh, who was doing odds and ends. I was running the sales department. I was sometimes training tech support, sometimes fraud detection, um, other type of weird little jobs for uh, HostGator. Actually, I was their first employee, uh, official employee. Um, And then after that, uh, just a number of different companies, I either started or bought. So I think I had a good long seven year stretch where I did a lot of those travels where I was running a company that eventually grew to about 130 people. A web hosting company, our largest brand was Site5. Um, so I was CEO. So operations and marketing were kind of my purview.
0: Um, it sounds like a very sort of startup startup style life um, where you just wear all the hats.
1: yes, yes, and I enjoy that.
0: Um, and uh, and actually, I'm just it, this has come up on the podcast before because uh, so many people um you know uh, are that sort of people who get into kind of books and publishing often have a kind of independent streak. But um do you have do you have an a, an EU passport, for example, that makes make it a bit easier to travel around like that? Yeah,
1: I'm a I'm a dual citizen between the uh, US and the
0: EU. Okay. I'm uh, uh on the list of jealous people, uh <laughs> yeah. for, for those for those who have those kinds of passports. Um that's uh, yeah,
1: nice. Yeah.
0: yeah, and um it must have been uh and so and so uh when did you move to to Portugal?
1: Yeah, so um at the very end of 2019, um My son at the time was about to turn three and we decided it was a good time to spend a couple years abroad and we actually moved to Spain first and so we landed in November um, and then of course 2020 hit and we were in Spain for a year and then towards the end of 2020 we decided to move to Portugal just to be a little closer to greenery and some other um, complex reasons. Um, but yeah, we we love Portugal, and that's kind of how we end up here, and where we actually decided to stay for the foreseeable future because my son starts school next year.
0: And uh, was twenty twenty was it around the time that you um, decided to found uh, Shepherd?
1: Yeah, I actually had another startup um, that was kind of had just pivoted about six months before COVID hit. Um, and it was uh, trying to help people optimize meetings at a company level uh, to get people out of meetings and try to get bigger blocks of deep work time. Um, it's something probably a lot of the uh, the software engineers who who write books that you talk to would love to have, um, but we just hit some walls. And so when COVID hit, we had just pivoted and we were getting some good traction on on the new direction we were doing, and we just had everything get swept out from under us. We we lost like our first couple. We had a first couple paying clients either delay by five months or disappear. One didn't, and they're fantastic. Um, But we basically decided that we needed, or I decided that um, it wasn't good to pursue it right then, because it was just not going to make it with everything going on, because everybody was pulling their budgets at the time and freaking out. So I shut that down in April, late April, and um, took some time just to relax with everything going on, Um, and I haven't really had much downtime Um, over the last you know nine years with different projects so I took six months off and I've I've been wanting to do something in books for a very long time but I could never find a hook or a way that I was really helping besides just mimicking functionality that already existed Um, and then I I had kind of this idea to um, create something that helped people see what other people's favorite books were and why Um, Because I I think at at some point I've been in several bookstores where they put post-it notes or little index cards and the staff would say, Hey, this book is one of my favorites. And here's a short sentence on why. And I always love that because I walk up and down the aisles and those catch my attention and they kind of connect me to the person. Um, So that, that kind of was the birth of the idea. I started sending out some emails to authors that I loved to see if they would take part. I'd I'd done a mock-up with a great designer I work with and uh, it was getting some good response from the author community. So I decided, yeah, I think this will work and then kind of proceeded from there and tested it more and then started uh, zooming forward.
0: Yeah and just to just to kind of yeah let's, let's sort of zoom in on on Shepard um uh it's it's really interesting um so the you t- you talk um you've got you got you've got Shepard for authors as well right because what you're trying to reach is is both authors and readers with this project and, and it's really great i mean you talk movingly um in and you know you you quite sort of extensively on a couple of uh, posts about like why you're building Shepard and how it works and you know what the marketing program is and what the you know sort of business plan is and stuff like that and the basic idea is that you you contact authors or authors find you and they write write-ups of their favorite books uh and then you post link affiliate links basically to uh, either amazon or is it uh, bookshop.org where people can then you know buy those buy those books but for the author's benefit you actually link to the author's website so people get get to know the author by reading their kind of very personal write-ups about the books that they love and so that way as a reader you get to discover not only books that you might like uh but authors that you might like who like books that you like
1: yeah and, and and we're trying to really solidify that five book list around a topic theme or mood that gets the author making the list in front of readers who are most likely to read their book um and that's kind of key so that if if uh, i wrote a you know a nonfiction book about the battle of the bulge i might do a book list about you know the the best books on the biggest battles of world war ii or um You know, something like that so that the readership who's coming to that list and attracted to it is also going to be interested in the book that I wrote. It's kind of a way to get in front of your target audience um, and give them something of value and you're giving them personal recommendations. So they're also connecting with you when you give those. Now, you know, that varies depending on the type of person you are. But we do try to pull that from authors in the sense of why do they love the book? You know, and then the reader is going to connect more with the author through that recommendation is our belief. Um, this is kind of based on some psychology um, for some groups I've been part of in the past. And uh, yeah, it's the hope is that it, in addition to giving them those great book recommendations, it also drives interest in them and their book um, over the long term.
0: And um, this is kind of a specific question, but do you find that authors and readers are connecting personally that sort of people like, you know, will, will actually like go to the author's website and then contact them about their books?
1: Uh, You know, that's a hard one to track. We do track links to the author's uh, website and other things they give us because we allow that, you know, we want them to do social media newsletter, whatever. We try to focus them on the three most valuable actions a reader can take. We are very early in the process. So my hope is as we, you know, grow and have, you know, more financial resources to create those things is we will create ways to help engage author or sorry readers with their most favorite authors or even you know authors they're most interested in, but right now we are pretty basic. So I have had a few emails from authors who, you know, actually I've had readers contact me asking to contact authors because it's not always easy. I've had a few of those that kind of thing. Um, we do track clicks separately so we can see that. Interest is, you know, here for promoted books and interest here for all the other books. We've done one case study and I'm hoping to do one later this year, but a lot of the features, I think that will help make that connection more long lasting. Those are having to come later on because, uh, you know, we've tried to be very lean because we don't, we don't have good reads, you know, financial resources. So that requires a user system and some other things that are coming down the road. Cause we are, we only 15 months old since our launch.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I think we'll uh, maybe take the opportunity to talk a little bit about Goodreads uh, a little bit later. Uh, but in in the meantime, yeah, no, so that's really interesting. Um, that you've you've made a lot of progress in um in in that time. Um, I, mean, I think you've got uh, over five thousand authors who've already uh, participated. Um, yes. And yeah, and and you and and you've you've got a you've got a really great uh, blog where you're about building shepherd which of course we'll link to in the in the transcript about this where you talk about a lot of the interesting um sort of initiatives that you've taken one including uh the use of natural language processing uh to sort of like help people find the right kind of books and I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about what what that is uh and and how you actually managed to build that into the the site
1: yeah kind of the core belief and why I'm building this as a reader, and I think um, as I've talked to other readers, it resonates and authors to some degree as well, um, is uh, I love to explore and find books. And to do that, you don't know what you're looking for. And currently the internet is really designed to get you to what you know. So it's a big fundamental problem with what's going on right now with it in a lot of ways. so what, we're, what I'm trying to do, especially with NLP, is to find more ways to help readers bump into books that they might be interested in. And this concept, um, it, you know, some authors do understand it and others I'm still trying to help them understand it. But we try to give people multiple points into meeting a book. So NLP is it's a huge swath of different things, but we use it to try to analyze a book and tell you what it is about. And we actually piggyback on Wikipedia. There's a lot of technical reasons for that, but we use their topic suite because it gives us a base. I don't have to manage what topics are what. So for example, if somebody gives us a list about the best books on the founding fathers, we use a lot of the data that people give us on those books. Um, We give some data that we pull down and we say, okay, what is this book about? And if the book's about George Washington, you know, we might have George Washington, uh, we might have his wife, we might have other topics that are tagged through that, and that helps us create both a better recommendation engine for seeing how different topics relate, but also bookshelves around those topics. So if somebody's browsing the site and they go to Founding Fathers, they can also go to a George Washington page that has that book, or they're at the Founding Fathers page that has that book, um, or anything connected to that. And it's, it's trying to help build more of a spider web type approach where people can move in different ways to the site, and really, I think that search provides a lot of meaning for what you're looking for. And so that's what I'm trying to play with. Um, and it's also eventually will have some other ramifications in terms of uh, cool things we can do with that information as we get further along. Um, but that's, that's kind of hard. Is that, is that decent? No, 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 that's, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. Really yeah.
0: that's really good. That's really good. Thank okay. you for sharing that. And you, you sort of like you, you broached kind of one of the, one of the big kind of motivations that I, I gather behind Shepherd, which is your view that, you know, you said, you know, how the, how the internet, Keeps you in your your bubble, for example, is is a real is a real thing, and it's a big topic of conversation. You know, in the last few years, for all kinds of obvious reasons. Um, and you write you write quite movingly about it um, on your on your site. Um, I'm going to just, just quote you back at yourself, if you don't mind, uh, for a second okay. here. And um, and in addition to saying things like I am incredibly frustrated with online book discovery, um, uh, you also say. One of the world's biggest problems is that people are losing trust in the institutions that run our society. Politicians are telling them there are easy and simple solutions to large and complex problems. Politicians are pandering to this simplistic nonsense to gain power. It is reminiscent of the rise of fascism in the early 19th century and it's terrifying. Um, and, you know, when I came across that, you know, you know, sort of I was researching an interview with someone who founded a sort of book discovery platform and it was kind of bracing and, and, um, and I was very glad, glad actually to see that there was this, this motivation behind it Um. And just just as an exercise, I mean, you brought up, you know, you use Wikipedia's labeling and kind of search and stuff like that as kind of a, a part of your platform. But you know, I I actually I'll do it again now. But I did it last night. Um, you know, if you if you go to YouTube, if you go to Wikipedia and you search for Ben Fox, you find the footballer, uh, and then and then you can find links to soccer and you know soccer teams and stuff like that, right? But like, yeah. you know, if I go on YouTube and I just put in Ben Fox,
1: know. <laughs> you
0: know, I'm I'm just like you know just just a few a few scrolls of the most down and it's I changed know.
1: I changed my name too so I, I'm in luck oh. here because when oh. I got married uh my wife and I picked a new last name <laughs> oh did you okay, okay. Yeah, yeah my name used to be really unique it's been Welch Boland with a hyphen uh, okay okay uh, yeah my parents uh my parents didn't eventually get along which maybe that was a sign and they got a divorce so it was Welch Dash Bolin um but yeah my uh, my wife and I picked a new last name for uh, after we got married because we wanted oh. to have the same one, and uh, yeah, for some reason we didn't. We didn't take my wife's because uh, her dad was a little weird about it.
0: <laughs> that would uh that would explain why it was a little bit more difficult for me to do my research for yeah. the is for most, but um, but I guess I'm just bringing it up because you know Ben. If I search for Ben Fox on on YouTube, you know, it's I've just a few scrolls with the mouse, and it's like you know Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, and you know, yeah. and, and Alex Jones, even you know, and like it's just I just searched yeah. for someone's name, and it's obvious that like you know, what I'm being shown is not being shown based on any kind of like smart analysis of my search. It's because that platform wants to show me that content. Um,
1: It's engaging.
0: It's engaging. uh, And, but it's, but, and, and it's, it's, I don't, I actually kind of don't know exactly how to get into talking about this, but because it's like, it's sort of, so it's hard to talk about because this kind of experience is so pervasive. But one thing that, that I love about say Wikipedia is that like Wikipedia is there for you to find kind of what you're looking for. Uh, even though you're not quite sure what you might be looking for yet, but there's a there's a very, a very sort of common and very popular and successful kind of form of content discovery, which just you just you you you're basically on a roller coaster. You're like take me, take me somewhere, and and people seem to really be okay with being taken anywhere. And I guess I just wanted to ask, sort of in general, what are your what are your thoughts about that? Why is that Why is that, for example, so popular with so many people to just be kind of and I don't mean this in a condescending way. Like, I mean, like do people love being led around? Why is yeah, that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think about it a lot as well. Um, I think, you know, I think there's a difference between pull and push, um, you know, that's, that's kind of some marketing terms for how it's, how it's done and each has a very, you know, s- certain type of power. Um, but I honestly think that people are so stressed out and exhausted that when they're on the couch and they want a dopamine hit or whatever else it's so easy you know to pull out TikTok or youtube you know and go into that bubble and those companies are not paid to challenge you they're paid to put you in a nice you know warm room with your perfect pillows and other things like they don't want to cause you discomfort where you break off from the ad revenue and the other bit so it's it's very hard because you know, you, you know, there's a lot of things broken in the in, in US, there's a lot of things broken, you know, globally in a lot of countries in terms of just life. Um, you know, it's am trying to figure that out. But I think when you are stressed, you're much more susceptible to those type of things, especially I don't think our brains are, are good at handling these big problems and these big threats, especially when, you know, media does amplify them. I don't think that's anything's really changed, you know, from media, but I think, some people it's very hard to ignore these big threats they can't do anything about and they turn to comfort areas and simple simple answers um and, and yeah it doesn't it's not working it's not working, <laughs> it's not working uh, well for society and people i think
0: Yeah, and it's interesting one of the things i think you write about as well is that the sort of the form of the book is um something one could be kind of optimistic about when it comes to facing these challenges right because I mean, there's all all kinds of terrible books that have been written that you know we don't you know we're all familiar with. Um, uh, but at least the sort of book presents one with the idea that difficult things need to be engaged with at length um, and and that and that you know, um doing a lot of work to address them is is important.
1: yeah, and I, I even think if you're reading a you know even a science fiction book or something, it's about putting you in somebody else's life from different perspectives. And I think that's so valuable because I think over time it it you know it helps rewire your brain to recognize you know that in different ways it just responds in different ways. I mean, if you're reading sci-fi books about aliens and relations between aliens and people, I have to think that that also helps you understand you know racism or you know different discrimination you know going on and recognize that in a different way because you've seen in a book and you've been put in that person's place. So even with you know fiction, I just think it's so powerful. Um, Or, you know, there's, there's obviously more practical examples of nonfiction of somebody reading about, you know, what it's like to be um, an immigrant, you know, uh, be an illegal immigrant. And I think that you can still disagree and want different solutions, but at least you're more empathetic to the challenges of that person and thus more people. So I I think a lot of those things help to soften the debate, you know, it's so much easier just to fear people and and that kind of thing. So I I do think a book is, is very, uh, very powerful as long as it, is written with authenticity um, and not you know darker motivations because they're of course uh, as you know books that uh, that go the wrong wrong path because they're written you know to scare people you know or to announce what they're going to do exactly um stuff that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting you brought that up. I mean, this, you know, I guess this isn't going to be the podcast of easy questions. But sorry about that. Yeah, but, but you know, course. the, the you, bringing up motivation is very important actually because um, it has to do. I mean, if you're hosting content, you do have to think about the motivation behind the co- sort of content that people are producing. Right. And I was listening to a podcast that you did, I think not too long ago, where you've talked about a very specific example. Not that you've, you've necessarily had to engage with this specific one on, on your, on Shepherd, but if someone were to do a write up of Mein Kampf. Because they're like, this is a very important book to read to understand sort of World War II, that's one thing. And if they're like, because I'm a believer, that's a yeah. that's another thing. Um, and yeah. so uh, what's what's your what's your approach at Shepherd? You know, just kind of generally speaking to 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 that kind of problem that basically all sites have.
1: Yeah, it's hard. Uh, it's super hard because the line is not clearly defined. Um, so, yeah, the first thing we look at is motivation and where somebody's coming from. Um, so I think the example I often get is if somebody's writing in positivity about white supremacy, that is not going on the site, of course. But if, you know, it's a professor um, who studies it and they want to include some of the a book from, you know, the head of the KKK and their explanation is about Understanding, you know, what where this person is coming from, this is worth a read because we do have some of those types of takes on the site. You know, that's something we look at a case by case, and you know, we're going to put it out there. You know, there's some debates that are not there, there's some things that I will say as a society. You know, these are not acceptable white nationalism. Um, you know, there's there's some things like that that we might want to get to, but we want to make sure people are coming from the right right place. You know, who gets to speak to abortion? you know, type things. This is a very sticky one. Um, you know, we want to make sure that, okay, who, who can speak to this? Well, somebody who has an abor- has had an abortion, they can probably speak to it. Um, a professor who studies the legal and history of abortions, you know, they can speak to it. Um, if it's a religious leader, um, a male religious leader, uh, probably not. If they have like a real you know, motive around it. Whereas, if they're trying to come at it from a religious point of view, that might be allowed if it's understand what these books actually you know say about it. So it's it's very hard sometimes to discern what we're going to put.
0: Yeah, no, I, I wanted to bring it up because uh, you know it, it's it's it is such an an a sort of very difficult challenge, and it's you know finding people who are willing to talk about it openly is kind of not not the easiest thing. But um, but but you know, for example, you know um. One can, and again, motivation sort of, you know, analysis of motivation comes in. For example, if someone is writing about theology, b- books about theology, for example, that's that's very different from actually promoting a theology <laughs> um, and trying yeah. to convert people, right? And you know, and by the way, and by the way, there are places there there are places for that, right? But you know, not every place is for everything. And you kind of, when you when you do publish stuff, you know, you do kind of have to decide where you're going to be. Um, and and it's it's it, one thing that's um particularly tricky is that, um, you know, just the nature of language is ever shifting. Right. You know, a, a, a word that seemed that's benign one day can become very coded the next, um, yeah. you know, and so, you know, you can imagine, you know, all but Well, for example, just to pick a very sort of specific thing to our moment, the name Brandon, you know, all of a sudden is kind of loaded with all this kind of significance. Um, and, uh, you know, you you sort of have to start watching for that. And so, you know, words that are kind of, you know, okay, one day might be like something you have to think about the next day, because it's just shifting. And so and that's the reason that you can't actually have straight and final rules about what's acceptable yeah. and what's not, because there's no such thing as like a kind of like lang- language just is an arbitrary words are arbitrary signifiers, what their content is, is up to people's actions. Um, and that can yeah. change every day
1: yeah it's yeah we had a i actually had one a few days ago where an author used the or uh, somebody making a recommendation used the word retarded and that you know it's, it's something we check now because you know kind of society is moving away from that um and we had to look at it in that case it was allowed because it was a quote from the book you know which was addressing the issue and using it the correct way because they were addressing the issue and, the, and it was done in a in a great way but yeah we do watch out for those things and it is a very hard line. You know there's some things I do that are easy like I I do not allow people or books on the site that advocate against democracy. You know like I take a very hard line that democracy is the best form of government we have because people have a say and there's obviously you know better run democracies than than others um but that's that's one you know we have some that we take a very hard stance on but uh yeah, it's it's a very difficult time
0: right now. It's 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 really difficult. I mean, there's um for anyone who hasn't seen it, there's a great Spike Lee movie called Bamboozled, which kind of addresses the the problem of like if you if you have a skull, let's say like this isn't exactly what Bamboozled does, but like it it, it talks about blackface minstrelsy and and stuff like that, and the sort of the way these images exist and persist in in American culture. But basically, like if you have a you could have a very scholarly book analyzing racist jokes. Right you know from an anti racist perspective, but for the racist person they've now they've got a book of racist jokes um and and there's there's real there's really for some things there's really just no way around a kind of paradox that just needs to be engaged with as as transparently as you can when it comes to the, the challenges of being any any publishing platform yeah um, Maybe on a bit of a lighter right. note, um, uh, when it comes to book discovery. So you, you brought you brought up science fiction and stuff like that, um, and often uh, often uh, we're, we're sometimes reading to you know be sort of you know uh, you know sort of uh, have things brought to our attention that we otherwise wouldn't pay attention to, and that's good. Sometimes we're just re- reading for fun um, and for entertainment and and for pleasure, uh, which is great. And uh, you you've talked about how um, uh, and and you know just to sort of bring up the truly controversial point, you don't like the Lord of the Rings books.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, get it out there. <laughs>
0: yeah, which which has actually it, it's come up on the podcast before. um I, I'm I'm not as much of a strong believer in this as my brother, but his his claim is that they're just badly written. um So yes, uh, That's
1: mine. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I think you I think you said it's like reading an encyclopedia um or something like that. But I mean, I w- I would say that yeah, you know, like you know, and I mean, I I gotta say, you know, to just sort of throw the controversy around, I feel that way about most science fiction. Okay. Uh, like, I just, I just um, like, like pick, pick the big names and I just can't read more than a page. It, it's just bad writing often. Uh, Have you and, done The Expanse? No, I haven't done The Expanse. Um,
1: okay. I, I do every, every year I kind of do a present for my family and I got my wife to read book one of The Expanse and she, she did like it and she is not somebody who would touch science fiction with a 10 foot pole. Okay. Um, so okay. I think they're yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, like, I, I think we might have a good list on the site, which is, uh, which is science fiction books for people that hate science fiction. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm no, pretty no. sure we had an author do one that was quite nice that way. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, well, no, I guess, I guess, I mean, this is kind of getting to the heart of it, but like, you know, about how difficult it is. But I, I want to ask you about your approach to sort of discover, you know, helping people find the books yeah. that they want to read next, which is so interesting. But um, I, I love science fiction. It's science fiction writing that I often yeah. find is terrible. Um, and, uh, but so like, for example, if someone like me were to go to Shepard and I were like, you know, look up, look up science fiction, what do you do so far? And I know you, you've got like plans for what to do in the future, but what do you do so far that would sort of help me find something that new that is also something I would probably like?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, right now we don't even know if books are fiction or nonfiction. When I started the site, um, we started, started with manually setting up each book, and we set it up with a book title, you know, ISBN codes, author information, author relationship, and uh, book cover image. So we were doing it all manually because we looked at APIs, and they were just horrible, and they would have required a, a lot more work for us at the time. So we decided, you know, this is partially some of the marketing reasons, but we wanted to get the list out first, start engaging authors, get that piece in place because that is going to feed all the other pages. And the next thing we launched after that was the topic pages that are based around Wikipedia topics because we get a lot of people that are used to looking for books by genre and they come to our site and they look for science fiction and I, you know, nothing is there about science fiction. If they search, I think that there might be a few broken topics. We haven't banned yet around science fiction. And that is really what we're building um, as we move towards winter. So right now we are shipping an entirely new recommendation engine uh, that's quite good. So right now, if you were looking for books you like, I would, you know, go to the site and you can look for um, one of your favorite authors. You can look for one of your favorite books, or you can look for a topic that you're interested in. You know, this can be galactic empire. This can be space warfare. It can be NASA, you know, anything you can think of pretty much. And when you search for those, we don't do a search traditionally, it's really about exploring. So what we return is we recommend five book lists um, by authors and we recommend bookshelves. Um, And if you go to a bookshelf, it's kind of the same thing where you can see what interests you and what calls you. So you might see a book that sounds interesting and below it, you see that it's a a list that sounds very interesting to you. So that's how we currently have it. We are moving towards adding um, genre pages towards the winner and age specific pages. Um, towards winter and we'll add filters as well. This is all kind of the base step I want because I want to be able to go to the World War II topic page and show me all World War II historical fiction but on a more loose basis or science fiction. Show me all science fiction that has to do with artificial intelligence or other combinations like that or for age nine or for YA or for middle schoolers. And this is really the most basic step we can take on the exploration You know, it's something I've been wanting for years. I don't understand why Goodreads doesn't want it because I want to be able to go to Goodreads and say, show me all science fiction books, you know, in or military science fiction that are rated 3.5 or above. And were published in the last two years. You know, things like that are um, just not possible and I don't understand why. So I'm gonna quickly find out, but that is kind of the first step we're taking um, at the end of this year. Um, And then we're gonna slowly start moving into more unique approaches. And I I should note the thing we're gonna ship between those two things is a books-like page. And that's pretty common right now, but the reason we are much different is because the heart of our recommendations are human beings, not algorithms, not ads, anything like that. So one of the awesome things we get from authors is they give us a human grouping of books. So humans are so diverse on how they think about things. And what we're getting is if somebody like Dune They probably liked it for wildly different reasons. So we have, I think we have, you know, probably 10 book lists that pick Dune, but they also pick a lot of other books that they have sorted in some way around a topic theme or mood with Dune. So our upcoming books like and a lot of our recommendations, we actually shipped a new section this last week. That's all driven by human recommendations. And then it's going to get better because it also is driven by topics. And then this winner will also add a filter over the top for genre and age group. So you know, not only can you see, OK, humans recommended these books with Dune, but, you know, what sci fi books did they recommend or other books? So that's a long spiel, but that's kind of where we're working towards is human recommendations, at the heart of everything and then sprawling out to provide more discovery points.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really great explanation. And, you know, I'm just I'm just looking at an example right now, like the way the way, um you know, if you if you look up sort of like watercolor, you know, uh, on the site, you go to shepherd.com, put in a put in a term. Then you'll see a bunch of you know really nicely presented sort of books, and then a sort of um, uh, explanation of sort of a book uh, and why someone picked it. But then you click on the, that. There's a link, and then you go to the the author's page, right? Which looks, they all look great. And then the, at the top is a Who am I? And then the author's book, and then there's their list. And it's all it's all just so thoughtful, and it's clear that like there's there's a there's a person behind it with all the richness and complexity that comes from, you know, being a person and having preferences and the choices that they've made. So it's, and it's just completely different from a, like the experience of, like I was saying, you know, the sort of, I mean, you know, to be, to be pointed about it, the totally gross experience for me of like YouTube and, and the kind of, I don't know how to put it. It's not like gross. It's just kind of maybe, maybe icky. I mean, that's a fine distinction, but you know, that, that you get on Amazon, for example, where it's kind of like, is why is this showing up in my search? Is it because someone paid for it to be there? Is it because you know? I mean, oft, often, there seems to be very little connection between what you type in and what you see. And here, but with you, with Shepherd, the person explains. <laughs> here's yeah. here's who I am, and here's why I picked what I picked. Um, and and it's and it's just so great. And there's there's no there's there's the sort of a sense that like it's just the people who genuinely care about books, writing about the books that they care about. And you mentioned actually, so Goodreads has come up a couple of times and I wanted to talk about that and maybe shift towards the next part of the interview where we talk about the book publishing industry kind of more generally. So for those for those listening who might not know, Goodreads is this, it's no, nominally a book discovery website that I believe Amazon bought, oh, I don't know, quite a few years ago now uh, for quite a bit of money and then apparently just like left to wither and people still use it because people are desperate for community being built around books uh, and and book discovery and things like that. And this appears to be the main, the main place to go, even though it it appears to have been abandoned. Is that, is that your, I mean, and again, this is sort of getting into the weeds, but is that your view? Do you think that Amazon's abandoned Goodreads?
1: No, but I, I think that I, I don't think they've abandoned it. They have a ton of people working on it from all I can tell. And and this is outside looking in. Goodreads was awesome when it started. The founders are awesome. They did awesome work to create something to share their love of books. When they sold to Amazon, what I think happened and what I've heard on some podcasts that they've done is Amazon is an e-commerce company. Amazon can't look at anything and not see e-commerce. It's the same as a surgeon. If a surgeon knows you're sick, the answer is to cut you open. And so Amazon has done some really great stuff to integrate Goodreads with the Kindle because that's where they saw the power of let's get them on the Kindle platform from my outside perspective. And they are starting now to trim down Goodreads, but they also ended a lot of programs that had some promise for helping authors. And I am just super frustrated because really the only thing I found that readers use Goodreads for is um, tracking what books they're reading. And even that's kind of gone by the wayside, but that's really it. I don't, I, I haven't found a reader yet who is using it to find books. You know, occasionally they'll get something, but it's not actively being thought of that way. It's a book tracking website. And the authors I talk to are not, they just find it utterly useless. You know, they change some of the pricing for book giveaways. They don't really offer anything. Their ad platform that they were kind of doing, you know, doesn't work. Like people deposit money in and it just doesn't spend it. Um, So there's a lot of things like that that I don't know what they're doing. I mean, their LinkedIn says I think they have 300 employees and they have been this last year doing some. Uh, fixing to the design and they're cutting some features, which also is frustrating people because they cut off their, they just killed off their API, which a lot of people doing work to try to make cool book ideas were suddenly in trouble um, because they had no access anymore. So there's a lot of things like that, that I can only see on the outside and guess at Um, Yeah, So that's as a reader, I just grew more and more frustrated that I couldn't do power searches um, or anything else to try to help me find stuff.
0: I'm curious about that, about the the, the API for Goodreads that they, they took away access to. Would people be using that to do research about like what kind of book to write next?
1: They could, but I mean, it'd be like, you know, software programmers who write a book who are getting really savvy with it. You know, you know most authors are not super technical, I've found. Um, so I think it was a lot of people um, doing some cool little apps um, to use the API to analyze what you're reading, things like that. Um, now, I think they might have not cut off people who are active, but um, it was also people doing a uh, thesis. I saw one guy who was doing, I believe, his master's thesis and was analyzing what people were reading and suddenly he's in trouble because he can't finish it. So there's some things like that, but it's, it was smaller sites for like book discovery and other things they were trying to do around that ecosystem and suddenly got pulled out. Pulled out.
0: This is a bit a bit of a sort of, you know, out of nowhere question, but are you planning on doing anything like that for Shepard uh, down the line, opening up well, the, the data is... basically?
1: Oh, I would love to, but here's the problem is we have manually created 25,000 book entries. Um, It's expensive. You know, we have a couple people doing part-time data entry. Um, Other sides go a crowdsourcing approach, which I hope to use, but uh, we hit a point where we had to license data. So we, in April, we licensed data so that we know where books, you know, we can do fiction genres and other things, and we're slowly integrating into the platform. Because we license that data, we now have stipulations for, of course, who owns that data we have a license to use this data. So we are careful that it doesn't mix into what we're doing. Um, but legally, uh, that's what prevents, you know, a lot of people from doing much. Um, I think we will be able to do some, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just one of the big problems. I've talked to our API provider, for example, it's Nielsen, they're fantastic. Um, there's a couple others, Ingrams and so on. But Nielsen's great people. They love their work and so on, but you know, they're selling that API for money. I've tried to talk to them um, about lowering the price and standardizing at a certain level so that they can unleash kind of programmers creativity. Um, I don't think they got that because these are mostly big companies and they're just not used to that type of thinking. They want to keep the pricing private. They want to renegotiate every year and all that kind of fun stuff. So, It's something I'm keeping an eye on. I would love to do it one day. I'm not sure legally how because we have licensed that data um, and it's not necessarily ours. Uh, That's
0: really interesting. Yeah. And again, in the interest of getting into the weeds, so you're, you're, you're running this, this company and you said you have a couple of people doing part-time data entry. Um, And so you must, you must have uh, developers as well. I know you've got, you've got at least one.
1: Yeah. One part-time freelance developer, um, one part-time freelance designer Um, And then we have one full-time person who helps me with emails um, and just kind of all communication. Um, One part-time editor who is awesome and does all the editing and formatting for the pages. And we have one person who does the data entry and we're about to hire another.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. And and I imagine it's, it's, you know, like you, there are people who are just kind of distributed uh, wherever they want to live.
1: Yeah, yeah, all remote. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, with the designers in Serbia, the developers in Berlin, uh, editor is in Spain, the uh, and then uh, data groomers are in the Philippines, and then Kathy, who helps them with emails, and she's also in the Philippines.
0: Speaking of emails, so um, a lot of a lot of the way you've you've built up, you know, your sort of you know um cast of authors uh, is by contacting them directly, um, and I'm I'm very curious so for anyone who's sort of you know. I mean there might be more people than than we know listening who've sort of undertaken projects that involved sort of cold emailing people to ask them to participate in in new initiatives. And so what's what's your what what was your approach to that at the beginning and how has it it evolved sort of like emailing authors and asking them to sort of provide you with book rec- recommendations for your your idea that they may they yeah. may not have heard of Shepherd before.
1: Oh Yeah, I mean, I started there was no website, there was just a mock up that I made with the designer about the core idea. And then I would email them pitch the idea and show them or attach the mock up so they could take a look and see if they take part. Um, So I think it's, it's, you know, we had an amazing response rate, I will say the first authors I respond or I emailed were the authors that I've read over the years, because I have a, a blog where I track all the books I read. And so I have, I think, going back to 2011, you know, a giant list of all the books. I loved a little note about them um, or disliked in some cases. So I started by emailing uh, my favorite authors, uh, which is maybe not the way to do it. (laughs) Um, But I emailed them with this crazy idea. And, uh, you know, I I started emailing mid-December 2020. And I think I got a yes within a couple of days and more. And so it was really gratifying. So. That's how I did in the early days. I reached out. I personalized everything because I knew their book because I can, you know, pretty much remember them all. And I think that helped me to understand what they're getting. But this is also a very easy thing to do because authors are in such pain, I think, in this industry to really do any type of marketing or sales. It's such a weird industry. And so my offer, I mean, I get an amazing response rate. I mean, now we're proven, you know, we have, we have a case study up that at least can show them ratios on, on one thing that was on fiction. We're trying to get more out there, but at this point it's easier. And then I have a lot of operations and marketing experience. So I just had to kind of scale that up. And at first we just asked friends and family, who do you want to recommend books? We still get some of those every so often readers reach out and say, Hey, these five people, I want to know what this person thinks about this. Um, and then eventually we started looking at Goodreads and who was recommended there. Um, and we get a ton of referrals. Like once authors are in the system and they like the process and they, they liked how it turned out is they're not only sharing it on social media, because so we encourage that is they're telling their friends. And so that really just helps us a lot.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious if you know, um, what proportion of the authors uh, that have written, written sort of reviews on, on Shepherd are self-published or have, have engaged in self-publishing at some point in their career?
1: Yeah, that I don't know. Um, it's not something we, you know, since we're doing all manual data entry, it's not you know we're very careful about data points. So that's not something I I know. I know that there is a decent chunk, but there's a lot that are traditional. Uh, but I couldn't even I couldn't even guess at this point because the process is pretty systemized. Like I did everything, you know, in the early days, like every single piece was just me. So like I could tell you up to six hundred authors you know i would think the split was like 70% you know traditional you know more established 30% uh, probably self published but that line is getting so blurry um, i think um, it's probably yeah.
0: yeah that's that's one thing i wanted to ask i mean it's kind of, it's kind of baked into your your project that the line is blurry right because what you're not doing is writing to the publishers and saying can you find some staff to sort of give me write up to contact the author you know, and then, and then, you know, you know, arrange it that way, right, which is actually the way something like this might have been done in the past, you might have got in touch with an author's agent or their publisher. And then there would have been middle persons between you and them. Um, uh, But in but but it's sort of in in 2020, you know, um, you you just reach out directly to authors, you know, that's, 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 and and, and authors respond with themselves. This is just the way that that sort of book marketing works now.
1: Pub, pub, we have had, uh, you know, of course, once we started, that's exactly what we want to do, because in order for these to be authentic, it has to be the author doing it ultimately anyway. And we did eventually make contacts with the, you know, publishers, see what we're doing, you know, especially some of the ones that actually, you know, are getting modern mar- marketing. Um, and we do work with a ton of publicists. Um, but, you know, there are, it's a very distinct group of of. Publicists get it because that's their job. So they're a joy to work with because they're like, yeah, let's get get them out there. Let's get them with their, you know, the books they should be comparing themselves to, you know, like let's make sure that they know what they're doing because we do have to walk authors through the process because sometimes they don't understand that what they're doing is really honing in on their target readership because they don't even think about who is my target reader. Um, a couple of publishers we work with are an absolute joy because they want their authors to do these because it's one more place they can get sales from it's just another source in a wide array and they do a really good job of it Um, and then we've talked to publishers who don't even want to publish in kindle Um, they don't want to do any ebooks they just want paper you know they don't do marketing i don't think you know that that always blows my mind because my background is heavily you know has been marketing for a very long time but um yeah, sometimes they just don't get it when we have talked to them because we have gotten intros at high levels to, you know, certain publishers and so on. And they just they don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's interesting. You bring up something that's sort of like, you know, kind of pervasive in the book industry. But that's that is kind of hard to talk about is that people come at it from so many different directions, you know, and, and there might be some people for whom, you know, it it, may, it seems strange when you come from a certain perspective. It's like you've written something for other people, but you don't want to try and reach them. You know, like, why, yeah. why is that? And it's like, well, because, you know, if you really, if you really care about something, having it attached to, you know, the kind of aesthetic of promotion, you know what I mean, yeah. you know, can feel like it kind of corrupts, you know, to speak of intentions, you know, it kind of corrupts the sort of sense of what the intention might be behind it. Um, yeah. and, and there is, there is this kind of tension with some book projects or even entire book publishers, you know, with, with sort of achieving their mission and, you know, marketing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have, I've talked to more authors. I do a lot of interviews because this industry is so insane to me that I was like, you know, I have to figure out a little more what's going on and understand the diversity because the authors are so diverse on where they're coming from and what this book means to them. Um, so I have a better, a better handle on that. Like I I have an author um, who wrote a historical fiction that I, I ended up reading his book because um, I was on a, a YouTube show and I really liked the title. I liked the first chapter. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I read it. I couldn't believe it's not published yet. Couldn't believe an agent hasn't, you know, it's in a, it's in an area, historical fiction. that I read a ton in, um, and I was blown away. Like it needed a little work, but not much. It's fantastic. And I talked to him and, you know, I was like, well, you know, why not self-publish this? You know, I think this can make good money. It's, it's got a unique approach. It's got a unique time period. Um, and for him, you know, you know, I hear this more, I'm using him as a case study for him. It was a lot about. You know the time and the complexity and having all learned all this stuff. he's he has a full-time job. Um, he loves the act of writing. He doesn't want to go learn formatting and all this other stuff. And he would like, you know, still the prestige of going through one of those gatekeepers because it is a seal of quality. Um, he doesn't want to have to you know, go get a book cover that's high quality that does hits the right notes. You know those kind of things are just not part of what he wants to be doing. So I have learned a lot about, how the different authors approach it. And that is helping me to understand eventually how we're gonna help different segments. Um, but it has been really interesting over the last 15 months. I've interviewed a lot of authors um, to try to to get more info.
0: It's super interesting that um, it is an insane industry book publishing. Um, uh, and and that that's, as you put it, that seal of quality element to it is one of the things that makes it so crazy. Um, yeah. You know, we, we haven't had the moment Like, you know, in the early 90s, there was this moment in both movies and music, um, at least in sort of North American culture, where kind of indie became became the seal of quality, right? Um, You know, and, and sort of like, you know, the, you know, getting a big label to back you, which everybody, most people secretly wanted anyway, but you know, that was that was selling that was selling out. Uh, but, yeah. but this, this, this has not happened in the book publishing industry for all kinds of complicated reasons. And it's one of the things that I sort of reflect on because like, you know, when you read, I, I, I found out about Shepard from, um, Jane, uh, Friedman's, um, hot sheet, um, uh, newsletter, which is like, I read for the sake of my own sanity, because everything you read in the sort of, uh, you know, mainstream news media about book publishing is crazy. Uh, and it's because the people who write about it seem to be guardians themselves of the publishing industry's seal of quality, magical power. Um, and so when you read, when you read about the book publishing industry, you'll, you'll like, you'll, you'll, you'll get, I mean, you talk about data and numbers, the numbers often just completely exclude self-publishing they'll, yeah. or they'll or they'll completely exclude eBooks or something like that. And so you'll read like, Oh, downturn in author earnings. And it's like, not from, not from lean pubs perspective, um, you know, <laughs> but they don't, they don't ask us. Uh, and I mean, that's not a complaint. It's just like, you know, we're, we're not one of the people viewed to be sort of, you know, having the magic kind of staff of this, I, I declare you, you know, sealed with quality now, you know? um. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, and it's just, it's just super interesting that, that there's some, there's, and we brought up, you know, the sort of the form of the book. I mean, we should probably be glad that there's, there is sort of an element of sort of this idea of an ideal of quality and you know, it's problematic, but kind of sanctioned quality um, behind the book.
1: I think it gets back to the discovery problem because it it was a gatekeeper to get into bookstores back in the day before the internet. And now it's, you know, you can can find those books in the online stores, which is fantastic. Um, But yeah, I think it gets back to how do you how do you find those books and and it's it's becoming blurry because i mean i I had a writer i loved who is uh was indie published the book was amazing i love it the second book was amazing and then he got a traditional deal um and books stayed pretty good but then they started going down because they switched to this schedule you know where they're publishing four books a year or something like that i was so frustrated because he's a great writer but they also changed how he writes the books like the first ones were a little more denser um and there was like more heart in them and like they've kind of stripped that out a little bit. It's a little too commercial now. I just, you know, I, that was one thing that I noticed of where it went backwards uh, because I knew him before he got his, you know, traditional marketing, you know, publishing deal. And uh, I think, I think about it a lot right now because there's some publishing companies that when I interact with them, I see how much they care about their books. And I, and I mean, publishing, you know, companies in the sense of anybody that's helping an author get their products out in a way that, facilitates that author so some of the publishers I talked to are an absolute joy because they're they've picked that book because they love it and I love you know those publishers are doing an amazing job because usually they have a specific focus and they just are passionate about it so they're picking what they want to work with and then you meet some publishers that are purely commercial and they're looking purely from a money standpoint and it's a much different interaction um, I get a little, I, I, the authors on the first one get along a lot better because I think that falls into a lot of the you know stuff you're doing as well. I mean,
0: yeah, it's it's really interesting actually that that brings up this sort of matter of push and pull, right? And sort of when recommendation engines are out there, and there's a sort of very commercially minded publisher, they're looking at what the what recommendation engines are working, and then they'll decide what to publish next and who to publish next and how to, what advice to give them the authors about what to write will be based on those recommendation engines and so you get this kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy but they do seem there does seem to be a kind of like an element to these things where like they kind of just i don't know what what the right metaphor would be but they kind of like they end up eating themselves you know what i mean like it, it's sort of there's too much there's too much um uh werewolf romance out there <laughs> yeah. At a certain point, maybe maybe saturation might be the right image or something like that, right? Where like you know, too many people are chasing the same the same formula um yeah. and then and then something else just kind of has to emerge
1: and that's and that's really eventually what I hope Shepard is helping um, and that's a big part of what I'm hoping to accomplish for authors is right now, what I'm focused on is getting authors uh, fifty to one hundred and fifty sales from people they don't know because this is such a big you know, challenge for a lot of people coming into it is how do you get in front of people who are willing to buy your book? Because I figure at around 50 to 150 sales that gets them around 15 reviews on Amazon if they're doing some things right. And that starts the organic growth machine. So that's kind of our base pyramid that we're doing right now. And then we're gonna slowly start moving up because what I, I wanna give people, I wanna give more of a meritocracy so that, cause I feel like we're leaving generations of authors right now behind. The more I look at this, this industry, it's, it's either a lot, it's like a random lottery, um, you know, and then there's all these authors I think that are, are getting fine, but I want to do this base because you need that base to get in the game. And then I want to find ways to help people from a, a cheap standpoint, get up to the thousands and tens of thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands as we grow. Um, so that's really something that that is, what's occupying my mind is what are the ways that we can get people a dependable 50 to 150 sales a year, just to get them over that hump with minimal you know work and then how do we recognize the books that have that magic spark um to zoom them up to thousands um that's that's what we will be working towards yeah.
0: um, and uh, just just to wrap up so for any any readers out there interested in 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 finding great books recommended by authors you can go to shepherd.com but for any authors out there who might be interested in in joining you know the shepherd kind of community uh, where can they go
1: They can go to uh forauthors.shepherd.com Um, And there's a link in the footer at shepherd.com, but um, it kind of has a big FAQ and it talks about um, some of the other formats because we are going to next year, early next year, and starting late this year, we're going to do two new formats um, as well. We've got one which will be like online dating, but with book characters. So we're going to start collecting from authors um, a profile of their main character or characters if they so want. um, And we're going to try to find ways to help readers bump into those based on other, Books slash characters they like. So if you like Jack Reacher, you know, who else might you like? And instead of going into a book description, it'll go into like a, I I use this jokingly, but an online dating profile. Um, And then the other thing we're doing is um, sharing interesting facts um, to meet books. The idea being that if, you know, somebody is looking up ant facts for kids, then you wrote a book about ants for kids, and you have expertise. We want to show you off, share five or six facts, and help give them a little nudge towards the book. You know whether it be on ants, insects, like that. So those are the two new formats we're working on as well.
0: That's um that's a super interesting idea of uh, online dating for for characters. You know you can <laughs> kind of like you know put in put in put in your profile for the kind of character you you might like to read about. Yeah. Uh, and then swipe right or swipe left based on based on what you're showing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a yeah. super interesting and entertaining idea. And then discover books and entire you know, fictional universes along the way. Uh, well, Ben, thank you very much for taking some time out of what I'm sure was a beautiful evening in, in, in Portugal um, uh, to talk to to talk to me and to talk to our audience about uh, Shepherd.com. Thank
1: you so much for having me. That was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a LeanPub author yourself, please check out our website at LeanPub.com. Thanks.